Episode number two of A Southside Perspective. Thank you so much to everybody for pressing play and listening. If you're anything like me, you are probably missing baseball right now. Hopefully this episode will help you scratch that itch. Quick disclaimer, we recorded it before we knew that the baseball season was going to be paused indefinitely. But baseball fans and Chicago fans, please welcome the legendary radio voice of the Chicago Cubs, Mr. Pat Hughes, and enjoy the show. All right, fun, fun, fun one today. My guest is a voice you will most definitely recognize if you are a fan of baseball, especially if you are a fan of the Chicago Cubs. He is Chicago royalty, he's baseball royalty, and he's a good human to boot. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio voice of the Chicago Cubs, Mr. Pat Hughes. Mr. Hughes, thank you so much for being here today. Happy to be with you, Jake. It's uh, an exciting time of the year, late uh, February, early March. Uh, I always get that old feeling. This is my 38th year consecutively in big league ball, and I can't believe it's my 25th as the, the lead radio voice of the Chicago Cubs. 25 years, what an accomplishment. I say it respectfully. I'm 35 years old, so any Cubs game I've ever taken in on the radio in my life was essentially your voice. What a cool thing to, to have that longevity. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those cases where our business is full of a lot of very interesting personalities. Um, part of the group of, of broadcasters are what I would call gypsies. They are always looking for that next job. They get a little restless in one place. After a few years, they want to move somewhere else and get that next better job. The, you know, that elusive great gig is always on their mind. Personally with me, I'm not really that way. When I got the Cubs job 25 years ago, and I remember it vividly, I can't believe it's been that long, but it was the fall of, of uh, 1995. Um, when I got it, I said, this is not a stepping stone to another job. This is an ultimate destination to become uh, the voice of the Cubs. I, I have held on to this job tightly. I don't take any broadcast lightly. Uh, I've had great partners in Ron Santo and now Ron Coomer. I worked with Keith Moreland for a while and Dave Otto was a partner for a while. Um, but this last five or six years, Jake, has really been something special with the Cubs being in the playoffs four of the last five years. Of course, the pinnacle being the World Series championship of 2016. That was the, the highlight of my career and one of the great thrills of my life. Um, but it's just been a very special time. And the point is, I, I don't want to go anywhere else. I am sure that I will never broadcast a game for another team other than the Chicago Cubs. I am here. I don't know how much longer they want me to be here or how, you know, how much longer physically I'll be able to do it. But I'm healthy right now. I'm ready for this season, and I'm as motivated as ever to do my best work. Well, your voice has become synonymous with that 
of Chicago Cubs baseball, even now just chatting with you on the phone, it instantly takes me to the ballpark, if that makes any sense at all. Even just hearing your voice instantly puts me back in that place. And over 25 years, I mean, you've had the pleasure of calling so many iconic plays, so many iconic moments and games. The first to say on air that the Chicago Cubs have won a World Series. I mean, how many cool boxes you've checked. It's just so fun. And I just talked to the people at the Kerry Wood uh, Charitable Organization, the Wood Family Foundation, the other day. And uh, it looks like uh, possibly, once again, we might do something regarding his epic 20-strikeout game that I had the great pleasure of calling. Uh, that's something else that is now 22 years in the rearview mirror, and yet the excitement is so vivid, and the spectacle of watching him that day is something that will never grow old in my mind. It was so special to be there, and uh, hard to believe that's coming up on 22 years. Yeah, so I was a young man when that game happened, and I'm from the south side of Chicago, so admittedly the more White Sox leanings, especially at the time. However, we were just glued to that game. He was zoned in and just mulling batters down. Well, the, the unique thing about it was everyone knew he had one of the greatest arms uh, in baseball at the time. He threw right around 100 miles an hour. But what made that day special, Jake, was not only the velocity, but also the great command. He had amazing control that day. All you have to know is the fact that he struck out 20 men and walked nobody. Now, that is a, that's an incredible ratio. Uh, and to use the word ratio, I'm not even sure if that's mathematically allowable when one of the numbers is zero. <laughs> right. I'm no mathematician either, but I think uh, you might need another number to play with it for, for it to be a ratio. But to strike out 20 and walk zero is insane. I mean, to strike out that number of batters, you have to be biting on the edges of the zone and trying to get guys to chase, throwing off-speed pitches and things to that effect. Like, you've really got to be uh, open to, to taking chances with the zone. Well, the home plate umpire that day was a gentleman named Jerry Meals, and Jerry is still umpiring, great umpire. And he was probably giving Kerry Wood an inch or two uh, on the outside corner, and Kerry just got locked in. And again, he was making his fifth big league start. That was another amazing component to the story. Here's a kid. Nobody knows who he is. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, on a sleepy Wednesday afternoon in early May of 1998, he strikes out 20 guys and walks no one. And it was, it was not just a run-of-the-mill ball club. You're talking about a, a team that had two Hall of Famers in the lineup in Craig Biggio and Jeff Bagwell. You had Moise Salou in there. You had uh, Brad Osmus, who is now a big league manager. You had Jack Howell. You had Derek Bell. Uh, that team, Jake, would go on to win the division title in 1998. So it was not a pushover team. It was a very good team, a, a division championship team, in fact, at the end of the year. And Kerry made it look like it was a man pitching against boys. And a man, I mean, heck, he he was a boy. I don't have it pulled up, uh, but he was, I think, 20 years old on the nose when that game happened. It's crazy. That was it. Yeah, that's wild. Big, big league start. And you're exactly right. He had, he had been the Cubs' first-round pick. Uh, I think he was about third overall. 
uh, third or fourth overall in the in the draft a couple of years previous, and uh, we knew he was something special. We uh, got all of these reports, but I think if if you go back and check his minor league days, I don't think he ever struck out more than 13 in a minor league game ever, and he was there for two full years. So that made it even more amazing that he would strike out 20 in the big leagues and only only his fifth major league start. Well, when you're zoned in, you're zoned in, I suppose. I mean, you've seen some some great pitching performances, though. I mean, that was probably top of the mountain, but you've seen a bunch of no-hitters. I think Arietta had a couple under your watch, Zambrano, Cole Hamels. I'm probably uh, missing a few, but you've seen quite a bit uh, of no-hitters. Carlos Zambrano back in 2008, late in the year, and that's a great trivia question. He, he pitched the no-hitter against Houston. Where was the game played? Uh, people would, would say either Wrigley Field or Houston. Uh, the answer is no. It was at a neutral site because of a hurricane forcing a, uh, a relocation of the ball game. It was played at Miller Park. It was Carlos Zambrano pitching a no-hitter on a Sunday night in September of 2008 against Houston in Milwaukee. Wow. And that was a, a great one. You mentioned Jake Arrieta, uh, Jake, and uh, he actually pitched two no-hitters, both on the road, once uh, at Dodger Stadium uh, in the 2015 season, late in the year, and then in the World Series championship year of 2016 in the month of April uh, on a night game in Cincinnati. He pitched another no-no. Uh, Cole Hamels, uh, people think that was when he was with the Cubs. It was actually his last start as a Philadelphia Philly against the Cubs on a Saturday afternoon at Wrigley. That was also back in uh in 2015. So uh, those are four. I've also covered Juan Nieves. That was way back in 1987. And I got a guy by the name of uh, Scott, what was his last name? Scott Erickson, uh, big right-hander, threw a hard sinking fastball for the Minnesota Twins. Scott Erickson, that was back in about 1994. So yeah, I've been lucky. I've covered six. But as I tell people, even though I have covered six no-hitters in the big leagues, by far, the game pitched by Kerry Wood, which was a one-hitter and not a no-hitter, the game by Kerry is the best game I've ever seen pitched. And to say that that game was better than all six of the no-hitters, that's quite a statement, but I'll, I'll back it up. I'll, I'll stand by that statement. Well, as you should. I mean, like I said, we were glued to that game, uh, albeit, you know, as a Southsider and, and rooting for Sox. It didn't matter, though, if you were Cubs or Sox or who you rooted for. That was just a, a mesmerizing uh, performance. But I have to ask you, how how does your memory work? I mean, you you pull names and stats and and hard sinking fastballs, you know, from years ago. Is that just being around the game so long, or has it always been like that with with schoolwork and other facts, or just baseball? Well, I I don't know. I I don't uh, try to analyze something that you're able to do. You just do it. You right. don't <laughs> you don't try to figure out now. Gee, how was I able to do that, or where did that come from? I'm thankful that I do have a decent ability to recall things, but uh, just talking with you here, Jake, it reminds me of being uh, on the air. I don't do a lot of broadcasting in the off season, so this is kind of like getting me in shape. Uh, in about four or five days, I will broadcast my first Cactus League game of the year with uh, Ron Coomer out in Mesa, Arizona at beautiful Sloan Park, and, and this is kind of like uh, a little warm-up for me, so this is good, but no, I like I love baseball. That's that's one thing I tell all young baseball announcers or guys who want to be baseball announcers. I say, 
you had better love the game because the game comes at you in a wave of ball games, day after day after day. And unless you've been in the business, you have no idea how many ball games there are. It is virtually every day for six months. And uh, if you don't love it, it's going to be a long, long season for you. Yeah, baseball is a marathon. I mean, you and I have chatted in the past. Uh, my brother works in baseball. My uncle works in baseball. So we're very familiar with the with the, the grind of that season. I mean, it basically goes from now, from essentially February, March, all the way to, if you're winning this thing, October. I mean, that's every day, all summer. Yeah, every spring and summer day, if you look at the calendar, uh, this year's opener is on March 26, uh, which is, um, what, 25 days from right now. We're recording this on the 1st of March here in 2020. Um, and so, I mean, the first day, uh, official day of spring is right around March 21st, I believe. So uh, every day in the spring or summer, uh, there's a darn good chance that there will be a ball game. Uh, 162 in all, and beyond that, you hope that it goes on to a 170 or 180, which would mean you go all the way to the World Series. When when the Cubs won uh, the title back in 2016, I'm pretty sure that uh, Game 7 of the World Series, Jake, was Game number 179 of that season. Yeah, what a haul. I mean, obviously over the course of a season, the players get dinged up and catch their dings, and sometimes they'll sit out a game or two for rest purposes or preventative maintenance. Have you ever had anything like that where, oh my goodness, I've got strep throat or the flu or my voice went out and I just I, I, I can't pull this off today? Well, uh, a couple of things come to mind. I've been very lucky with my health. I try to take good care of myself, but uh, beyond that, I've been very lucky. I think in the first 37 years of big league announcing, I think I've missed only about five games because of illness or injury. Um, and three of those I missed because of some food poisoning uh, back in the 27 season. So um, I've been lucky. And also, as you get to be more of a an elder statesman, I'm not an old, old man yet, but I am in my 60s. Once you get to that point, it's nice to be able to negotiate in your contract a few days off during the season so you can just kind of recharge the batteries and come back fresh so um, uh, last year and this year for example i get 12 games off but i'm still going to pump out uh, pump out 150 uh, cubs games here starting on march 26th but um again i absolutely love it i've been lucky um i've had some voice issues i've had some surgery on my vocal cords but uh, everything is good right now and and again, I'm I'm ready to charge out of the gate here on March 26th up at Miller Park, Cubs against the Brewers. Well, you sound like you're in mid-season form. Like I said earlier, even just hearing your voice automatically transports me uh, right into the ballpark. Um, I do want to ask you about some of your previous partners. Obviously, you've worked with some great ones, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the name Ron Santo, who's obviously just a Chicago and a baseball legend. What was it like working with Ron every day? He and I were so very different, but we had this unusual chemistry, and I could not even analyze it. I couldn't explain it, even if I had to. I'm sure he couldn't either, but... Um, I remember, it's funny, I was just thinking the other day of my first Cactus League game in my very first year, 19, 
uh, opening day of, of 1996 in the Cactus League. I had just been hired, uh, like I said earlier, in late uh, 1995. But I was nervous. I was coming from Milwaukee, where I had worked for 12 years. Uh, it's a good market, but it's one of the smallest markets in baseball. So when you go from one of the smallest to one of the biggest markets, Chicago, that's a huge jump, and it's a major transition. And I think any performer, Jake, uh, has a little bit of anxiety when he or she is going to be performing in front of a brand-new audience, whether you're a singer or an actor or a broadcaster uh, or a ball player or anything in the performing area. There's some anxiety when you have a brand-new audience that is going to be out there listening and or watching everything you do. So uh, I was no different. I certainly had some some fears about uh, how will the audience, uh, ha- you know, welcome me? How will they feel about me? Will they like me? Will they not like me? Um, but and, and Ron Sato knew that I was nervous. I think anybody would have been. But he was nice enough the night before our first Cactus League game. Very thoughtful. I will never forget this generous gesture that he made to me uh he called me up uh in my little condo in arizona and he said pat it's ron santo i know you're nervous i don't want you to be you're going to be great you and i are going to be a great team we're going to have some fun you do the play-by-play i'll do the color and i i could feel i literally jake as he was saying these words I could literally feel the tension start to leave my body. Uh, and I, I, all of a sudden, I felt relaxed. I hung up the phone. I had a good night's sleep, and I was ready to go, and I did not have nearly the butterflies for that first game that you would think that I would have because of that generous phone call by Ron Sato. And I will forever be grateful that he did that. It was It was one of the nicest things that uh that I think anybody has ever done for me in my life. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. I was admittedly down a YouTube rabbit hole the other day. Someone put together a compilation of you and Ron and way more of the uh the lighter moments and there was one I think where he was eating a hot dog and you called him out on it with a bit of a dry wit, but it was just so obvious that you guys had such great chemistry together and it must have been fun you know participating in some of those quirky moments as well it was um you know he had so many mishaps and uh the the story that i always like to tell was the night in um in shea stadium opening or it's like the second night of the year a very cold night in early april cubs are playing the mets at old shea and the broadcast booth had that old-fashioned electric heater right above our heads, the kind that glowed a bright orange when you turned it on. Well, during the national anthem, Ronnie had the misfortune of getting a little too close to that heater, and um, uh, I I all of a sudden smelled something burning, and I heard something sizzling like bacon on a stove. I looked over at Ron Santo, and his hairpiece was on fire. Oh, no. There was smoke coming out the top of his head. (laughs) He had this really silly look on his face, and I did what any good partner would have done. I grabbed some water and splashed it on his head and put out the fire. And Ron, being a, a very handsome man but also very vain about his appearance, his first thought was, 
how does it look? <laughs> how does it look? I almost laughed in his face because it, it looks burnt, Ron. It, it looked, yeah, it looked like a golfer, like Tiger Woods had taken a pitching wedge and whacked a ball right off the top of Ron's noggin. There was a divot in the top of his head. <laughs> how does it look? So I lied. I said it doesn't look that bad to me, Ron. Not not that bad at all. <laughs> That's hilarious. So we always had some good laughs about it and. Uh, he always thought it was hilarious that uh, the Mets' starting pitcher that night, when this moment occurred, was Al Leiter. And that yeah. is a true story. Yeah, that's something you just can't make up. That's a level of serendipitous wordplay <laughs> that you couldn't make up if you tried. Um, looking forward, good sir, uh, Cubby's season is right around the corner. They essentially have a lot of the same core group of guys that won this thing in 2016. Obviously, there's a new look on the management side with David Ross at the helm. But what's your honest assessment of Cubby's baseball this season? Well, I'm excited. Uh, I'm always excited. I've long since given up trying to predict how a team will play or how an individual will perform. Uh, you think you get an idea when you simply use track records and you say, well, this guy has been hitting an average of 30 home runs for the last five years, so we can probably expect about 30 out of him. And that guy over there, he's averaged about 90 RBIs for the last three seasons. He should be good for close to 90 ribbies. It doesn't always work out that way, Jake. Um, injuries play a big role uh, as guys age, some of the guys you think that are still going to be good are no longer quite the dominant player that they are now. You have rookies come along on the other side of that coin who nobody is really even thinking about or even knows about. But they are in minor league ball right now. They have a great minor league first half. They get called up to the big leagues, and the next thing you know, they're making a major impact on your team. Um, that happens. But I, I mentioned injuries, slumps. Um, and, and sometimes you just get more luck than you do in other seasons. It's a very strange, unpredictable game, baseball, but that's one of the things I love about it. Having said that, I think the Cubs have a lot of really good ball players still. You mentioned the core uh, is still intact from the world championship team, but I, I look at the five guys in the lineup, uh, five, maybe even six, if you add a few more guys, but uh, think about the five of Anthony Rizzo, Chris Bryant, Javier Baez, Wilson Contreras, and Kyle Schwarber. Now, those guys are all in the primes of their careers. I'm not saying that all five of them, Jake, are going to have great years, but I think the likelihood exists that at least one and possibly two of them are going to have the best year of their career this year, right now. So if that is the case, and if you get lucky, and you have maybe three guys having a career year, all of a sudden you're looking at a powerhouse offense that's going to score a ton of runs. They're going to hit a lot of home runs. They're going to play an exciting brand of ball. Now, I, I, I'm talking about the lineup, of course. The game is about pitching, and that's what it all comes down to. You need to pitch better than the other guys to win world championships. Uh, that would be the question mark. Can the Cubs pitch as well as they need to pitch, particularly the bullpen, and can they hang on to those leads in the eighth and ninth innings, something they were unable to do a year ago. And I think that, more than anything, cost the Cubs a chance at making the playoffs last year for a fifth consecutive season. But if the bullpen comes through, 
Uh, and if Craig Kimbrell can revert to his form of, uh, you know, several years ago, and he's not that old. I think Craig is 32 or 33 years old, so he still should have some life uh, closing out games. But uh, if he can, you know, put together a solid year and save 90% of his chances, the Cubs have a chance to go a long way this season. Well, like you said, if there's eight position players on the field and five of them are those powerhouse names you mentioned, I like those odds as far as run production and defense. Let's get our starter to go uh, an extra inning, inning and a half. Let's eliminate the walks and have the bullpen do its job. Um, but if all goes well, I think this has potential to be a fun season. It's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting ride. It, it really is. And and again, baseball is so unpredictable. Uh, think about the team that won the World Series last autumn, the Washington Nationals. Yeah. Now. They were not even a division cha uh, champion. They were a wild card team. They played the one game wild card playoff in our nation's capital against Milwaukee. Milwaukee was leading that game three to one with two outs in the bottom of the eighth inning. The Nationals load the bases and Juan Soto, the young, dynamic, excellent left-handed hitting outfielder, lined a base hit into right, two runs scored, an error by the right fielder. Um, allowed a third run to score. So it was a miraculous win for Washington to win that wild card game. Uh, if they don't win that game, their season's over. And, and they were down by two runs with two outs in the bottom of the eighth. That's how, that's how close they came to not having a glorious champagne October, but a disappointing playoff loss yet again. And if you follow baseball history, the Nationals have a history of disappointing, heartbreaking postseason setbacks. Um, so, I mean, having said that, you just never know what's going to happen in the game. Um, you, you think you do, but believe me, I, I know I'm not smart enough to predict what's going to happen in baseball, and I've met a lot of smart people. Nobody is smart enough to predict this game. Nobody. Well, as they say, that's why you got to play the game, right? I mean, uh, you can do matchups on paper all day, but your one uh, bad bounce, one ball hitting a rock, one errant throw away from a, a, a brand new ball game. Well, in football, uh, the best team almost always wins, um, and in basketball, uh, the same thing. Rarely do last place teams in basketball. Uh, in college and the professional level, rarely do the last place teams rise up and beat uh, the first place teams. But in baseball, because you play so many games and you play a series of games, not just one ball game every Sunday like you do in the NFL, um, you might play three or four games in four days. I mean, that's very common. And it's just hard to beat professional athletes four straight times. Uh, there are good players on every team. The ball bounces crazy. Sometimes a broken bat single will fall in and drive in two, and a guy who will hit a tremendous line drive will be caught by an infielder and turned into a double play. Think about the dramatic effect that either one of those can have on the outcome of a game, and it happens all the time. You, you see, especially I'll tell you when you, you see it, is, is down the stretch in a pennant race. You get to August and September, and – You'll have a powerhouse team who's battling for first place, playing a team that uh, is 25 games out of first, and they're just playing out the string. But invariably, 
that team that um, is down rises up and beats the good team two out of three. You see that every year, not just once, but all the time. And that is what makes baseball unique. Uh, baseball is, you know, the greatest game in the world. It's America's pastime for a reason, and that's exactly it. You never know. Any given game, any given matchup, any given series, uh, it's not necessarily the favorite on paper uh, who's going to, you know, who's going to win this thing. Um, lighter topic, good sir. What is your favorite city to visit on the road? That's a good question because, uh, to, to tell you the truth, um, I'm not a huge fan of traveling. I realize it's part of our job, but uh, as I get older, especially, the, the traveling gets more and more difficult. Um, so I, I don't want to say that every city is exactly the same because they're not, and every ballpark is slightly different. But it is the way my mind uh, works is that if I have to travel, I just have to do it. I have to prepare for that game the way I would at Wrigley or any other venue. Um, but I don't really look forward, to be honest with you, with uh, to traveling to too many places these days. It's always fun to go, for example, to um, Northern California. That's where I'm from, and I get to see some family and friends in, in San Francisco uh, Dodger Stadium is still a favorite ven- venue, but it's not quite as much of a favorite as it used to be when Vin Scully was working right next door. Um, I like to go back to Milwaukee because I, I worked there for 12 years. Um, I love the park. You know what I really love? I love Cubs-Cardinals games. So yes. so going to Wrigley or going to Bush Stadium in St. Louis, I get to cover those games. I don't have to cover Cubs-Cardinals games. Those are, those are games that I am always very excited for and, and motivated to cover. But uh, we have some beautiful parks in our division. PNC Park in Pittsburgh is a gem. Uh, the Great American Ballpark in Cincinnati is beautiful on a nice warm summer night. Uh, you got Miller Park, which has the retractable roof. And uh, always a lot of Cub fans are in attendance up in Wisconsin watching the Cubs. Uh, and I, I love games at Wrigley, and that's never going to change. I absolutely love to, to work at Wrigley Field. I have one of the best partners ever in Ron Coomer. Zach Zaidman is an excellent third man in our booth. Mitch Rosen is our executive producer of The Score, and he is uh, just a, a wonderful man, uh, probably the best manager that I've ever had uh, as far as guys that I report to. Uh, the ball club, uh, the, the ball club has been amazing with uh, Tom Ricketts and his family and Crane Kenny, the president. Uh, They give us total freedom, Jake. Anytime you're a performer and you're a live performer where you're constantly having to create your own content, to have complete freedom is a real blessing, and I have that. So, And and the ballplayers, the the team has been so interesting and so exciting to watch here in these last few years. So it it doesn't matter. To answer your question, I don't really look forward to traveling the way I used to. I simply do it because it's on the schedule, but I'm always ready to get home and and be with my wife and be with uh, all the creature comforts like uh, your favorite coffee cup and your favorite easy chair and sleeping in your own bed and 
And that's just part of uh, of doing it for 38 years, I'm sure. Yeah, I would imagine the luster of travel after that amount of time probably uh, goes away, which is completely understandable. As someone who doesn't travel that often, I was um, lucky enough to be on the charter plane. My brother's in the Cubs front office on the business side of things, and uh, he got to, to bring a plus one to a couple of the World Series games out in, in Cleveland and just to kind of live a day or two in the life of... Of, uh, of a Pat Hughes or a player and, you know, silly stuff, but just ride the plane and eat the meal and, and get the access. It was so extremely surreal. And then I got to ride the wave through the parade um, as as his plus one as well. Just so much fun. I mean, that, that parade and World Series run had to be amazing for you. Well, just to, to get a chance, as you mentioned earlier, to, to be the first Cubs announcer to say, the Chicago Cubs win the World Series, which is almost exactly the way I did say it. So cool. But to get a chance to say that was so very special, and at the moment that I'll savor, um, people were asking, were you thinking about Ron Santo before you made that call? And, and I said, well, yes, but I think about Ron Santo every day anyway. He was a big part of my life for 15 years. So, yes, I was thinking about Ronnie. I was thinking also about Ernie Banks and Harry Carey, and Jack Brickhouse. But really, Jake, I was thinking about the millions of Cub fans uh, and ball players that never got to experience what we all did, which was the World Championship and, and the World Series title. You think of all the millions of people over the last century plus who love the Cubs. And, I mean, we're diehard fans, and they unfortunately passed away before their favorite team could could uh, to go all the way, and I was thinking about all of them, and it was a very emotional thing. And as far as the call, uh, I just tried to be true to my radio audience. I didn't think of anything real fancy to say after. Um, I just wanted it to be as natural, and I wanted it to be clear. I wanted my voice to be under control, if possible, um, because I've heard a lot of good announcers over the years. They get too excited. Their voice cracks and it doesn't sound the way they want it to. And I know that that thing is going to be listened to over and over and over for as long as all of us live and well beyond that. Well, you handled it extremely well. The uh, audio was captured perfectly. No squeaking of the voice. And, and yeah, what a moment in time, man. Uh, it's funny you mentioned Harry Carey. Random fun fact. Today is Harry Carey's uh, birthday. I was tipped off to that right before this conversation. So it's neither here nor there. But yeah, when you, when you think about just uh, that, that World Series win, I mean, Cubs fans are generational. And like you said, there's so many people that you know, maybe grandpa passed away before he could ever see one or husbands and wives whose first dates were at the Cubs games. Uh, you know, it's a lot bigger than that moment in time. It's uh, it's really kind of a special thing. Well, and I guess I'm um, ready to do it again. <laughs> yes, sir. I know that might be too much to ask, but again, we have a good team. We're, we're uh, you know, again, I, I made the reference to the Washington Nationals going all the way a year ago. I certainly think we have as good of a team right now as the Nationals did a year ago. It just comes down to winning the key games that you've got to win all year long, especially down the stretch uh, in September and then into October. And and then you just uh, – I think uh, Joe Madden used to talk about the heart of a champion. And this team has the heart of a champion. We've got a lot of guys who played on that championship team. 
And, and by that, it, it says a lot. It says uh, you're never going to quit. You know what it's like to win one. You know how wonderful your life is and life for fans and life for the organization. You know how wonderful of an experience it is. So you want to get that again. Um, but it's never giving up. It's always doing everything you possibly can to win another one. The heart of a champion. I love that phrase. And the Cubs have that. They have had that. And they will all have that. Uh, the guys who were on that team for as long as they live. Well, they've got that. They've got the roster. And they've got the voice. They've got you backing them. So it's going to be uh, an interesting season to say the least. Uh, but listen, good sir, I cannot thank you enough for making some time to chat with me. Uh, I know you're a busy man, and I really, really, really appreciate it. Uh, wishing you all the best of luck this season, and we'll be listening. Happy to do it, Jake. Thank you for being so well prepared. Your, your questions were excellent. Well, that's obviously a compliment coming from you, so I will take it and thank you again Ladies and gentlemen, the radio voice of the Chicago Cubs, Mr. Pat Hughes. 